You are live with the App Show. I'm Mike Agarbo here with uh, Gray Williams, and we have got a great program today. We're all about all about the world of apps and mobile technology. We'll be chatting about uh, the wildfires and how the Canadian government's actually reached out to the tech giants like uh, Meta slash Facebook on lifting the news band so people can get news about uh, the fires happening in their communities. We'll tell you uh, what is happening with that. We'll also give you a, a Twitter update. There's a lot going on there about uh, Elon Musk, uh, you know, uh, stripping the ability to block accounts and a bunch of pro-Nazi accounts uh, happening uh, as well. We'll tell you uh, kind of the latest update uh, on that. And also, can AI-generated art be copyrighted? Well, we have an answer uh, for that. But, uh, Gray, let's get into some of the the tech news uh, this week. And uh, talking about uh, mobile technology, I guess cows are kind of mobile, aren't they? Yeah, I'd imagine so. I mean, they're standing in their field. Uh there's uh, some interesting tech uh, that's uh, being used to create virtual fences for grazing cows. It's using a tech out of uh, Norway called NoFence, and the uh, University of Alberta researchers are uh, trying this out on Alberta farms. So essentially, they put this, uh, I guess, internet-enabled collar on the cows. It's got solar panels to help power the battery uh, on it. And it works in conjunction with an app on a smartphone that the the farmer uses. The farmer can actually create a virtual fence uh, on his farm, uh, just using his finger on the the smartphone screen. And uh, then he can, uh, I guess, train the cows to actually stay in that virtual uh, fence uh, using little electrical shocks. I guess in the collar, there's uh, a little uh, capability of sending shocks to the, uh, the cows. But apparently it works quite well. I think I'd have this for kids. I mean, maybe less with the electric shocks, but still. You can't give kids electric shock collars. There would be there would be a bit of an uproar. Uh, but just just a mild shock. A mild, yeah, <laughs> no, that's that's not just it's not going to fly. I don't think. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, it's uh, it's interesting tech, and uh, it's uh, you know I guess uh, cuts down the need for actually building physical uh, fences. This is a cool story, uh, and I'm, I'm loving this. Uh, Walmart's working in conjunction with uh, one of uh, Alphabet's, uh, I guess, drone divisions. Alphabet uh, owns Google. And uh, they're going to be launching drone delivery in the Dallas uh, area down in the U.S. to 60,000 homes. you got to sign up through the app down there to see if you're eligible. eligible. But this is kind of uh, what we've been hearing about for years, the ability for a retailer to actually deliver product to people's homes using uh, a drone. They say that they're good enough even to deliver, I guess, uh, delicate uh, grocery items like eggs. I I would have to see that happen. Wow. Yeah. I always thought we'd kind of go the, the trebuchet route, you know, not so much with the eggs, but you get it there in, in time. But drones are <laughs> what do you like a catapult? I suppose this will have like, to do. like a catapult, catapult the eggs? Yeah. Or the, <laughs> the groceries? Yeah. It's a trebuchet. You can throw a 90, kilo, 90 kilogram um, and 300 meters, I think. What do you put a little parachute Standard on? The medieval technology. Yeah. Yeah, you got it. Well, it's uh, it's interesting. I'm. I'm... You, you don't have... Sorry, Greg? I was, I was thinking you don't have to worry about flying planes, right? The, the planes are way overhead, drones <laughs> way overhead. Your trebuchet is in that sort of middle ground that nobody flies in. 
Yeah, I don't think that's going to be happening uh, any time soon. <laughs> so we'll have to see how that uh, all works out down in uh, Dallas. And, uh, you know, one day maybe they'll bring it uh, here to Canada. Uh, another story uh, we're following, uh, Uber down in California, they are raising the minimum driving age for their drivers to 25. Younger drivers will be grandfathered in, but if you sign up to be an Uber, Uber driver down in California, you'll have to be at least 25 uh, years old. And uh, they're, they're saying this because uh, the climbing commercial auto insurance costs uh, in, in the state. So uh, as we know, younger drivers uh, typically are involved in more accidents, and I guess Uber can't afford the insurance anymore. Yeah. I mean, this also brings them in line with, with rental car agencies, right? You might be 25 to rent a rental car in most states as well. Um, it's sort of a, a tough as your luck, right? Like if you were, if you were in before and you get grandfathered in, great. Um, but this is the right decision for everyone. Well, it's interesting. Uh, Uber is basically saying that uh, insurance uh, for their cars are 10 times that of taxis and 30 times that of personal vehicles. That's pretty significant. Yeah. But I, I, I would imagine that unlike British Columbia, where Uber and Lyft drivers actually have to have uh, a commercial um, license, you know, the same that a taxi driver would have, uh, down in the U.S., Uber drivers don't have to have that, do they? They, they just have to have a regular kind of uh, license. Yeah, and, and, and that's, that was sort of the, the role out here in Canada was, was stepping ahead of these issues. And, you know, obviously they're having to deal with these issues around the world as they pop up. We took the right choice. We took the right path. Yeah, I, I, I forget what it's like in the rest of Canada, but here in BC, um, like I was saying, you do have to have that, that next level up of um, license if you want to be a, a ride-sharing uh, driver, like for Uber or for Lyft. I don't know if that's the same in Ontario and Alberta and some of the other uh, jurisdictions. So, um, you know, a lot of people complained about that when Uber finally got into British Columbia. I mean, it was years. It took years, you know, compared to other uh, Canadian provinces. Uh, but uh, the government was very clear on, you know, making sure that uh, the, the drivers were, were properly licensed. And, and, you know, that's, that's, I, I think a good thing, you know, at first it wasn't great because there wasn't a lot of drivers. Do you know what I mean? Uh, but now, it, uh, I, I think, you know, the safety aspect was the right way to go. Yeah, agreed. So Donald Trump uh, back on Twitter. And the first thing that he tweeted is his mugshot. <laughs> um, you know, Donald uh. Trump uh, was, um, uh, I don't know if I'm using the correct terminology, arraigned uh, in Georgia, uh, you know, for one of the, the criminal charges uh, there. And uh, he finally started tweeting again on Twitter, or as they're called now, X. And he basically tweeted his mugshot. It, it was funny. I, I, um, I was down in uh, the, the States for a, a music concert this week. And a, as that happened, um, you know, he tweeted his, his mugshot. I, I can't tell you how many people in the crowd, they're, they're, screen, they're showing everyone his mugshot on their screens, literally hundreds and hundreds of people. It was, it was surreal. It's, it's not a good look for him, though. <laughs> no, I mean, and the, the whole thing actually is quite cohesive, right? Because you now have the ex-pres on X, um, 
Well, it's sort of extra to the game. Yeah. I think Elon actually hit it on the head with this one. Yeah, it's going to be um, interesting how much Trump starts using Twitter again. Because he, he was using Truth Social. That never really went anywhere, did it? No, I mean, it was, it was, it was flowed from the start. And the audience just actually isn't that big. Like, they make a lot of noise, but there's just there's not that many of them. It, and, you know, you'll have to stay tuned uh, later in uh, today's programming. There's a, a lot of uh, updates on the uh, the Twitter side. I'm still fascinated to kind of see where that all ends up. Uh, will will Twitter be here in in five years? What, what do you think, Gray? Not in the form that it is now. Um, I, I think that Elon's got this idea that he's going to take on the, the Chinese mega apps. And there's a possibility of, of something there, but I think he's just soured everyone on the brand so much that I don't know that it can do it. So maybe if Twitter, Twitter slash X will still be around, but I think it's it's starting to enter relic status because there's just not a whole bunch of reason to have it anymore. Talk about the uh, these Chinese mega apps. This is kind of an interesting thing over in China. Uh, so shopping apps that also are your social media app. They're also the place where you pay your bills. Uh, they're the place where you get your news. Kind of the opposite of what you've got going on with social media right now. It's the centralization of everything. Uh, as opposed to what we're starting to see, which is the fragmentation of everything on this side. Um, fascinating thing, you know, when an app knows everything about you, in dictatorship, it knows everything about you. Okay, we have a lot to talk about on today's program. We're going to g- uh, give you the latest uh, Twitter updates. Uh, and this is going to be an interesting story that you'll you'll want to stay tuned for. Can AI art be copyrighted? I mean, there's literally millions of these images being generated. Uh, people feel real ownership uh, over the AI art that uh, they're creating. Uh, but can they be copyrighted? Well, you'll be surprised at the answer to that. Also, we will be talking more about a contest. There's a secret word for it uh, this week, so you'll have to stay tuned. And we're giving away two great prizes, uh, an Epson EcoTank ET2800 inkjet printer and a Epson smart projector this thing is amazing it's got android tv built in and you'd be lucky to win this it's so compact as well it's like a little cube and you can project this image literally anywhere obviously on a screen on a wall you can take it to a dorm room or just have it in your living room uh, as well so you'll uh, want to enter this contest at www.getconnectedmedia.com when we come back from the break more tech to talk stay tuned you are back with the program. We've got our good friend Carmi Levy with us uh, today, all the way from Toronto. Thanks for joining us, Carmi. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me. Had to get you on the program. Uh, Meta and uh, Google are going to be blocking news from Canadian sources. It's already happening in a big way on Meta, which uh, is Facebook, Instagram, what have you. But uh, it looks like uh, some people... Well, a lot of people are upset with uh, Meta, uh, especially in light of all the wildfire issues uh, we're having in uh, Canada and just how important it is getting that that news and information out. And it's not getting out because it's being blocked. And even the, the prime minister has stepped in, it looks like, to uh, voice his uh, discontent with that, Carmi. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you think about it, you know, the last thing that you want during a time of Uh, local, regional, and national emergency is to have to change the way you use your technology to keep in touch, to get get access to critical emergency information. When are we evacuating? What are the routes? Um, You know, like all information that you need now, now, now. And for uh, Meta to, to essentially not turn back on 
our ability to see Canadian media content uh, on their platforms, both Facebook and Instagram, means that life is a lot harder for those who are in the wildfire wildfire evacuation zones uh, and those who are trying to communicate with them. So it's a it's a case of colossally bad timing, and you would think that. Uh, this company would sort of recognize the greater good, recognize that the community needs, uh, in the absence of a longer longer term solution to their business dispute with the Canadian government, uh, that the communities they serve need access to these tools, at least in the short term, to get them through the crisis. Um, but obviously that's not the case. Meta has uh, refused uh, calls to have uh, media content from Canadian sources turned back on. And they simply refer everyone to their safety check feature uh, and say that they can still access uh, government agencies, emergency services and non-government organizations uh, as well. All, and those have not been turned off. Um, you know, it is a, it's a PR uh, activity at this point. Uh, what disappoints me here is that uh, the company had the opportunity to do the right thing and chose not to. Um, regardless of what you think about Bill C-18, the Online News Act, regardless of, of that entire process, this was an opportunity to be good corporate citizens, and they refused. What do you think the public sentiment is over all of this? Like, I, I don't think it's good that they're doing this. No, I, I don't think so either. I, I you know, I think, uh, I think the public is frustrated that this is happening. It represents a change to the way they've come to use uh, Meta and Facebook uh, you know, and Instagram, you know, Meta's tools. Um, but I think, you know, looking at the, the tools on an individual basis, uh, we don't use Instagram for sharing this kind of content anyway. Uh, Instagram has never been uh, a major source of news. We share photos and, and videos there, pretty photos and videos. That's it. Um, so it's kind of a non-starter for Instagram. Facebook's a bit of a different story because many of us had gotten used to following uh, our favorite media organizations, outlets, their pages and then just seeing the content show up from them in their feeds. And now that it's no longer there, it does represent a pretty jarring change. Um, but I've always said, uh, you know, even as, as Facebook was updating its news feed uh, and sort of getting us into that habit, I've always said that social media is a terrible medium for that kind of thing. So if you want to know what's going on, don't look at your Facebook feed. Go directly to the source. In fact, you know, I've been analyzing my feed even before this particular um, case blew up. Um, and I realized most of the contents in my feed was uh, things that I never even asked for. Um, you know, resources that I wasn't following, sponsored content, suggested for you, uh, increasingly AI generated based on what Meta thinks I want to see, but is clearly not what I actually do want to see. Um, so, and, and if, if there had been any news content in there, in many cases, it was days old. I would put it next to, I put the feed on one side of my screen and I put the news organization's website on the other. And I realized that I was only getting a small subset of what was actually being published. And in many cases, it was days after it was originally published. So um, even before this particular issue blew up, even before the wildfires made it so acute, um, I think it would become clear to a growing number of us that Facebook was a terrible medium for this and we really should be moving on. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, I would like to see Meta do the right thing. But on the other hand, I think it, it's time for us as individuals, users, to take responsibility for how we use this tool and recognize that it was never really designed for this in the first place. Do you think a lot of people were getting their, their news from Facebook? 
I think they thought they were. Uh, I think they thought that it was convenient. <laughs> you know, like I, I, I think a lot of people got lazy. I don't want to sound pejorative, but that really is is the truth, right? You, you, you follow something once, and then it just shows up in your feed. What could be easier than that? You don't have to go visit different websites. You don't have to go set up all sorts of different things. Set it up once, and then just you know let it benefit you every single time you update your feed. Um, but the problem here is, is that. Feeds are not chronological. In other words, feeds are not based or are not filled with content exclusively of things that you have decided to follow. Increasingly, it's what Meta wants you to see. It's the algorithm that decides what you see and in what order and when and in what context. And so it isn't about keeping you informed. It's about keeping you on the platform for as long as they possibly can so they can serve up ads. Well, when I want to find out what's going on in my community, that's not exactly the same mission. So the two of them were at odds here. Uh, Facebook's mission is not to inform. Uh, and so if you're using it for information, uh, then you're kind of missing the point. And so I think we had gotten a little bit lazy here. We just assumed that that was, you know, that that was the way it would be. But, you know, it, there's a completely different ulterior motive going on there. And the algorithm was being was deciding what we saw and under what context which as a, as, as a, you know, I went to school to be a journalist. That's not kind of how journalism works. And so I think this is a good opportunity for us to reframe our relationship to social media and really start asking ourselves the question, what are we, what are we really getting out of it? And are we using it the way that it's supposed to? Because I think for most of us, the answer is we're not getting a whole lot out of it. And no, we aren't getting that value back. And maybe we should start reallocating that time that we spend on it, doing something else like, maintaining our bookmarks to the news sites that matter to us, um, setting up feeds, uh, signing up for email newsletters from these same sites and text uh, response systems, all tools that allow the content to be delivered directly to us without having to go through an algorithm first. Talking with Carmi Levy about uh, the wildfires and Meta still not turning the news on, even though it's kind of a precarious time and people would need that information. Uh, Carmi, I'm going to get you to stick around. We've got a few more stories we're following, uh, including AI. Can it be copyrighted or, or art? Can it be copyrighted? We'll find that out. And uh, a Twitter slash X update. You're listening to the App Show here on the Course Radio Network. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in studio. Let's uh, talk Twitter. We haven't, or sorry, X. It's X now. Uh, they are in the news again, as they have been for the past year. Uh, Elon Musk has taken them over. I think most people uh, are aware of this now. He's uh, rebranded it to X. So uh, it's uh, the social platform formerly known as Twitter. Carmi Levy with us to kind of go through a bunch of the stuff that's happened over the past week. And it just doesn't seem to end, does it, Carmi? It doesn't. It's like this never-ending litany of headlines, each one more uh, unbelievable than the last one. Uh, and you kind of keep wondering, when does this train wreck end, right? At what point do the, the, the cars stop piling up uh, on the tracks? Because uh, it's just one thing after another, usually driven by you know some kind of uh, decision made by Elon Musk, something that he decided to to share in the middle of the night on his personal account. That's sort of the way he seems to be running the company, very chaotically, um, very tactically, not strategically. There doesn't seem to be an overall plan to this. Um, you know, deciding, for example, that uh, the ability to block accounts, that's going to be removed unless you are a subscriber. So if, if you pay the eight bucks a month to be a subscriber with that verified blue check mark, 
then you can still block people. But if you're one of the large majority of people who still refuse to pay for the service, and I count myself one of them, I will not enrich this man, uh, then uh, you, pretty soon you will lose the ability to block people that you feel threaten you on the platform. And the fact that Twitter X has long been known as the most toxic of the social media platforms, where this kind of stalking and abusive behavior is commonplace and the company even before Elon Musk came along wasn't doing anywhere nearly enough to st stamp it out uh, it's kind of shocking you know the what what minimal protections you have offered your 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 end users you are now taking them away and putting them behind a paywall which is unconscionable it's just not done um, it's not done in social media it's not done anywhere um, and it's it is recklessly irresponsible and it just strikes me as uh, as Disappointed as I am, I just I keep thinking this is Elon being Elon, right? This is this is the way he operates. He doesn't care what anyone says. Uh, he paid forty four billion dollars for this thing, and gosh darn it, he's gonna do what he wants with it, even if it means removing protections, um, so that he can force you to pay for what would normally be free on any other platform. Uh, disappointing, but at the same time. Uh, highly indicative of life under Elon Musk, and quite frankly, if we think this is bad, I think we should watch his uh, his feed over the next few weeks because there's probably something that's worse already in the pipeline. Well, speaking of uh, blocking accounts, uh, it looks like uh, X slash Twitter uh, they suspended uh, some uh, pro Nazi account after a couple brands halted advertising. Yeah, this is, and you know, one of the reasons why a lot of advertisers bailed on them uh, starting last December on mass was uh, the site uh, had 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 was showing um, extremist content, hate-filled content, anti-Semitic content um, in concert with certain brands. And so, if you are uh, a corporate brand, let's say you're Delta Airlines, the last thing you want is your post appearing alongside an ad that you know for for you know left from a nazi sympathizer and so um advertisers took a pause when this thing started to really rise um and the company really has done nothing since uh to address it and now a couple of companies a pharmaceutical company known as gilead sciences and uh the internet and television association said that they were stopping their ads, uh, their uh, their ad spending, because uh, their ads appeared in concert with a neo-Nazi account, which um, was known to the company, had been flagged as a neo-Nazi account months earlier. Uh, they celebrate the Nazi party. They celebrate Adolf Hitler. Um, they have a huge following, and the company was doing nothing to uh, to address that. And now they were monetizing that hate-filled content. So if you're a brand. Um, do you really want to be associated with that, right? And and this was content, hate content that appeared alongside Major League Baseball, Sports Illustrated, USA Today, Amazon, um, Office Depot, like, you know, huge legitimate brands are now being dragged into the mud. And so, um, you know, this is just a, a case of two, but the truth of the matter is, is this is absolutely rampant across the platform. And the company, you know, they fired three quarters of their staff. They're basically a skeleton staff now. They don't have the people, they don't have the resources, and they don't have the technology to scan the half billion or so messages that are shared on the platform every day to catch these in real time, let alone months after they first go live. It is uh, a perfect example of just how dangerous social media can be. And worse, how incredibly dangerous it is when the company that runs the service 
simply doesn't care to do anything about it. Uh, they would rather just collect the ad money and hope that no one notices. Speaking of uh, Elon Musk's uh, Twitter followers, uh, apparently they, they've been bloated by millions of new inactive accounts. Yeah, this is a, it's an interesting one because if uh, if if Elon Musk, so uh, you know there was a, a data analysis um, from Mashable, um, the online tech publication, that looked into Elon Musk's followers, and he's got well over 150 million followers. He's the most popular person on the platform, of course, because he owns it. Um, and they showed that the vast majority of them uh, are likely not real accounts. 42% of his followers have no followers themselves. 41% of them have never tweeted. Um, a quarter of them created their accounts after Musk acquired the company. Um, and the median number of followers across all of these accounts is one. So think about that for a second. Most of them are basically zombie accounts. Uh, are they human? I would not bet on that. I think many of them are automated, generated by script. Um, many of them have multiple numbers in their name. You can kind of tell. Uh, many of them don't have a photo associated with it. They just use the, the stock avatar. Uh, we call them egg accounts. Um, you know, and so clearly there's not a human behind them. Um, so the fact that Elon Musk was complaining madly while he was negotiating to buy the company about the number of bots on the platform that it needed to be cleaned up. He wanted to be this. He wanted to see the data when he buys it, he's going to fix it. And now most of his followers are in fact, not legit. I think speaks volumes about the company in general under him. And we can assume that if Elon Musk's followers are largely not legit, then there are a lot of people on the platform who are also being followed by non-legit sources. And a lot of the numbers that we're seeing are inflated because it's driven by technology, not human activity, which again sort of speaks to the toxicity of this platform and the fact that when the owner is is kind of in, involved in this, chances are everyone else is too. Looks like uh, he's got a garage sale going to get rid of a lot of the old uh, Twitter stuff, eh? Maybe raise a few bucks? <laughs> I've always wanted a neon hashtag sign, quite frankly. So I'm thinking I might make a bid. There's, a, it's a, you can go to hgpauction.com, and so they're auctioning off uh, next month uh, basically everything from their San Francisco headquarters. So uh, standard desk chairs and and desks and tables and things like that, but also a large bird cage uh, with the Twitter logo bird uh, welded onto it. Uh, a bunch of at you know the at sign. Um, so either in neon or statues. There's a really nice plaster one that I have my eye on. Um, there are also paintings of some of the most famous tweets that were ever shared on the platform. Remember Ellen DeGeneres' Oscar selfie from 20, 2014? There was a painting of that um, that you can buy if you want. Uh, or Barack Obama celebrating his re-election. Um, you know, and, and, and musical instruments. So I'm guessing they played music uh, at the headquarters. I'm not quite sure. Techies. Techies are weird, as we know. Um, and so you know, is this going to get Elon Musk a lot of money? No, probably not. But we know full well that uh, they only have a fraction of the number of employees that they used to. They're not using even uh, a small percentage of the space that they used to in their San Francisco headquarters. So they're clearing out floors um, and kind of getting them ready for someone else to take over the space. Um, and uh, and I guess any money is better than no money. So, you know, if you want to help a billionaire out, uh, put in a bid on some of these things. Bids are starting at 25 bucks a piece. 
Um, so I'm thinking if I can get the, the the neon hashtag sign for 25 bucks, that is an absolute score, and we can have a little piece of tech history for ourselves. Are you interested in any of this stuff? Yeah, I, I kind of have a thing for neon. Um, photographically, you can have a lot of fun with it. Um, and I'm thinking just even one. If, if it stays at 25 or if it doesn't go too high, I might stay in on some of the bids. Um, but if it, anything hits triple digits, I'm out. Um, so yeah, I'm curious, but not to the point that I really want to enrich Mr. Musk any more than I already have. Well, I hope you get some, uh, some gear there. I want to thank you for, <laughs> thank you for joining us again. <laughs> Thanks so much, Mike. I appreciate it. Don't forget to enter our contest, www.getconnectedmedia.com. Giving away an Epson EcoTank printer and smart projector as well. If you want more chances to win, the secret word this week is Android TV. When we come back from the break, just a little bit more tech to talk. So stay tuned. Back after this. You are back with the program. Mike Agarbo here in studio. We're giving away an exciting prize package, uh, an Epson smart projector. And it's uh, using Android TV. And also an Epson EcoTank ET2800 inkjet printer. It is uh, amazing. The secret word this week, if you want more entries, Android TV. Those two words, Android TV. Go to our website, getconnectedmedia.com to enter and find out some of the other little things you can do to get uh, more entries to up your chances uh, of winning. Carmi, uh, thanks again for coming into the program. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for having me back. So... It's just been amazing at how far uh, the technology has come when it comes to AI uh, images. Uh, you know, I use a tool called Midjourney. There's stable diffusion. But the question that a lot of people are asking is, can these images be copyrighted? With human images, yes. But can AI, computer-generated art, be copyrighted? And so I think we might have an answer. I think we do, and I think, in, in, you know, we do, we, we, we finally have a court case that sort of addresses the fact that the technology has been racing ahead and copyright law has failed to keep up. Well, now um, U.S. Copyright uh, Office has had a judge uphold a finding that declared a piece of art created by AI that it cannot be protected by copyright. In other words... There has to be a human in the loop. A human has to have authored something if it is going to be protectable via copyright. If a human wasn't involved, you can't copyright it. And I think this draws a very important line in the sand, um, and it sets the tone for future copyright legislation updates that understand that AI is now a thing, because pretty much all of the copyright-centric law, both in the U.S. and in Canada and Europe and elsewhere, it all predates AI. It doesn't understand or anticipate it. It doesn't know that a lot of content that we create today was, and especially using AI, was created by scraping huge amounts of data on the internet and that it then got incorporated into the databases of these large language models uh, and then is used to create new content. Um, and so there was no law, no framework to really dictate, well, then who owns it and how do we protect those who own the original content? And so we still don't have answers to that. We're still not anywhere closer to it. But this certainly helps move the conversation forward. And at least it establishes a, a barrier, a line, a limit, basically saying human involvement in creating something copyrightable, no human involvement in creating something not copyrightable as 
lawmakers, legislators start to craft AI aware legislation laws, this particular ruling will make a huge difference and will certainly inform that process. So it's a good news, good news story for all of us, because frankly, for the past you know, number of months, ever since ChatGPT came out and unleashed that wave, we were all kind of wondering, well, when's the other shoe going to drop? Everyone's playing with these tools. No one's thinking about the legalities. It's going to be a mess. This helps clean up some of that mess. How significant is this one judgment? This is just one judge. It is. It is. It's, it's only one judge. It's only one piece of art. It was called a recent entrance to parade, and it was autonomously created by an algorithm. Um, and and so it, you know, it it essentially it only applies to this one piece, which was denied a copyright by the copyright office. Um, and so in and of itself, probably not a big deal. Uh, however. Uh, the way law works, it is in the U.S., which is, you know, does adhere to common law principles, which, of course, is based on precedent. And so that sets an important precedent for other cases now to go try it. So right now there are a number of other cases in the pipeline. For example, in the U.S., a number of artists have sued um, 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 Stability Diffusion, Midjourney, and Dream Up, right? The image generators that you were talking about just before, saying that, uh, they are being trained using copyright materials that they own the copyright to without their permission. Sarah Silverman and a bunch of other artists are also suing Meta and OpenAI for copyright infringement, saying that their work, comedians' work, was being used to train their chatbots without their consent. So you've got a number of other cases now that are working their way through the courts that now have a very important precedent to refer back to. And this gives them a lot more fuel. It actually makes it a lot more likely that these plaintiffs will prevail in these cases and further solidify the precedent that's been set here. So the wheels are definitely in motion. Um, and, and the good news here is that for anyone who has ever been a creator, you're one, I'm one, I know many of our listeners are, if you create content and you worry that artificial intelligence is going to cut your rights down to size, these, you know, this one particular case uh, turns the tide a little bit and gives you a little bit of hope that you'll still be able to create stuff in future and have it protected legally against rampant use of AI to basically wipe out your ability to generate revenue off of it absolutely critical moment in AI history. Um, and it's just just getting started. I, I guess my question is, uh, you know, how much AI constitutes it being created by, by AI? Like what if, uh, you know, a human then takes that piece and uh, I guess modifies it? So it's maybe 20% human. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, the word they used here was human authorship. And um, I, I, as I'm sort of pondering, and it's a great question, I think it needs to be asked, right? Because it's not a black and white thing. It's a shades of gray thing. Like when I Photoshop, when I take a photo and then I Photoshop it, how much is the photo versus how much is all of the processing that happens afterward? And as a photographer, I've always had a very uh, minimalist approach to modifi modifying uh, an original work. In other words, I will not engage in heroic Photoshopping. I won't use tools like Photoshop and Lightroom to create something that didn't exist in the real world. And I certainly wouldn't take someone else's content, create it and use it as mine. But I think the same kind of logic applies to artificial intelligence here. I think we have to ask ourselves, what are the thresholds for you know percentage of human authorship? How do we determine how much a human needs to be involved? Did all we do was just ask it, you know, get, you know, 
do one quick prompt and then it created the image and we didn't really have any artistic input into the process? Or was it we did most of the artistic heavy lifting and the AI just tweaked some of it for us? So we could be heavily involved or you know minimally involved or not involved at all. But I, I would like to think that as uh, legislation gets crafted, that it tries to deal with these very you know subtle differences in authorship and and in fact how we even define human authorship in the first place that's going to be the question for the ages we don't have the answer to that now but at least the pieces are starting to evolve where we can have those have those conversations and then figure out how we then build laws around that so i think this is it's healthy it's it's a healthy exchange and it's a lot healthier than technology companies just racing ahead without even considering the legal implications of the tools that they're introducing which is kind of where we were when ChatGPT first came out late last year and in that sort of initial rush. And now I think sanity is starting to prevail, which is healthy. There's one thing that's really weird with uh, these AI uh, art uh, image engines is that, uh, you know, I've used them myself and I, I really feel kind of ownership of the art that I've created, even though, you know, I haven't really done much of anything other than put a few text words uh, into uh, a prompt. Yeah, and and I think... And I think that's sort of the, you know, I, I think that's where society needs to have that conversation, right? What is what is a creator, right? Like it's it's one thing if you're an artist using pens and, and you know, brushes and paint. Um, it's another thing or a photographer using light through a lens um, versus, you know, you don't have that direct artistic impact on the final outcome. Uh, but maybe there is, maybe there's room for artistic expression within the AI space. And I'd like to think that there is. Um, but because we don't have those definitions yet and we haven't even discussed them, all these tools are so new. Um, it's raising a whole lot of questions over copyright and ownership and, you know, when do we cross that technological line? Um, but it doesn't mean that we won't get there at some point. I think we just haven't had enough time with this technology in our day-to-day -day lives to really understand what those implications are. Uh, we will get there, uh, but it's still, we're way too early in that process. We've only been using tools like ChatGPT uh, and image generators like Stable Diffusion for a few months. Um, and, and it's gonna take years. Think of how long it took regular personal computers to change our personal culture around content and the way it was created and the way it was shared and the way it affected our jobs. AI is going to do the same thing only on a much larger scale and it's just getting started now. Well, this uh, this whole thing, as far as ownership and copyright, it's only going to get more complicated uh, as the months and years uh, go on here, especially when uh, we're dealing with, you know, how much uh, gray zone there is like how much human interaction is involved in manipulating any of these images that come out of uh, uh, out of the things like stable diffusion and, and mid journey uh, Carmi as always I really want to thank you for joining us on the program today wonderful being here Mike I really appreciate you asking Looks like that's all the time we have left for the show. Don't forget to enter our contest, www.getconnectedmedia.com, giving away an Epson EcoTank printer and also an Epson Smart Projector. The secret word this week, Android TV. Go to the website and enter and get some of those extra entries. See you again next time.